Uh, for those of you that are here, you know we're in the middle of a series called Not a Fan. For those of you that are visiting, this is actually part three in a series. And our life groups are doing the, mo- the Not a Fan and following along with the messages. And in it, there is a video of a particular man and his family who go through the conversion from a fan to a follower of Jesus. And if you're not involved in the life groups, you, you may not connect with all the characters. So I'd encourage you to get in a life group. It's never too late. But uh, we're going to start the sermon this morning with this short clip. There's a popular magazine for hikers called Trail Magazine. In their February 2004 issue, they published directions on how to get down from Britain's highest path that has been laid out for us by someone claiming to know the way. The question is, whose directions are you following? What path are you on? Whose directions are you following and what path are you on? You can maybe notice the sign out on the highway as you came up. There was a short message in there that simply said this. It doesn't matter how accurate you are if you're aiming at the wrong goal. doesn't matter how accurate you are if you're aiming at the wrong goal. In our lives, there's many paths, many opportunities to take different paths. And only one path is the right one. Making sure that the path we're on is taking us to the goal that we're supposed to arrive at. So we're going to look at that. The, the title of this, the message this morning is, is uh, Choosing Intimacy. You know, when you look at this whole non-a-fan series, as challenging it is to become a follower... And for those that are visitors, a fan is an enthusiastic admirer. You know, you can be a fan of the chair you're sitting in. Boy, what a great chair. Comfortable. I love this chair. It's certainly not a follower of that chair. We can be enthusiastic admirers of Jesus. What a guy. Cool miracles. Can't believe he did all those things. I'm really interested in this guy. I want to know about this guy. That's not a follower. That's a fan. A follower is someone who's completely committed to the one that we're following. And that's the path that we want to be on. The path that leads to intimacy. When you look at that title, Choosing Intimacy, if someone were to ask me, and this has come up, what is this whole fan thing about? What is this being a follower thing about? I guess those would be the two words I would use that I think could best explain what I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do in each one of our lives. That we would choose intimacy so that we would know Jesus. Not just know about Jesus. We want to know Jesus intimately. You know, if you give me a few minutes and a computer and Google, I can find out a lot about almost every single one of you in here. But that doesn't mean in the least that I would know you. I might know some things that you did. I might know where you live. I might know your phone number. I might know if you've been in prison or not. I might know a few things about you. When it comes right down to it and says, hey, do you know so-and-so? Not really. I have no intimacy with them. I don't know them in that regard. We're going to look at a Bible story that shows two different people taking two different paths. And I think as we go through the Bible story and we'll talk some about intimacy, I think the picture will become very clear. I'm going to read, and it's a relatively long section of Scripture, uh, Luke 7. 
starting in verse 36. It says this, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. I want to get you a picture in your mind of reclining at the table. They didn't sit at tables like we did on chairs like we sit on. When it says recline, they literally recline. The table would be maybe a couple feet high, and they would maybe have a pad or, or almost like a, we might call it a little sofa. And typically, they would lay on that pad with their feet behind them. The table's over here, and there might be a pillow to put my left arm on, and I would eat from the table and visit, and we would eat in this reclining position, especially if you were a Pharisee or a person of influence and wealth. So when that scripture says they reclined at the table, keep that picture in mind. And then it says... When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them and with her hair and kissed them. And then she poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who invited him saw all this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet... He would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him and said, Simon, I have something to tell you. And he says, tell me, teacher. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other only 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman, and he said to Simon, the Pharisee, Do you see this woman? I came into her house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears. And she wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss of greeting. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. But she has poured perfume on my feet. And therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. For she has loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sin? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We have two people in this story other than Jesus. We have Simon the Pharisee. And Jesus had been teaching and he'd been doing some amazing things in the city and Simon had went to him and invited him to come to his house for a meal. And Jesus went. But Jesus, when Jesus came in the house, it was very common in their culture. Because they wore sandals and walked on dusty roads, you would honor your guests by washing their feet, either a servant or yourself, or you might at least give them water to wash their feet. Jesus said, Simon, you didn't even do any of that. And very common in their culture would also be a kiss on the cheek. A kiss is a greeting, kind of like our handshake. And he says, Simon, I came in, and you didn't even give me a kiss. 
And also in that culture, it was very common. Typically, it would be an inexpensive oil, an olive oil, but they would use the oil and they would anoint their head with oil to, to shine their hair and it and usually oftentimes had a fragrance in it. And he says, Simon, I came in the house and you didn't anoint my head with oil. You did none of these things. And then he says, there's this woman. And the Bible describes her as a known sinner. What she was, was a woman of ill repute. She was a prostitute. And she comes to this house when she hears that Jesus is there. And again, for some that may not understand or know, a lot of the houses in that culture, they would have open yards, maybe a wall around the yard, but a lot of the home would be open. So guests, the, the people of the streets maybe, then that is important. They could actually stand and watch and even overhear the conversations, but they wouldn't be allowed in. But this woman comes walking right in. And she comes and stands behind the feet of Jesus. And if you again remember the picture, Jesus reclined. The table's over here. He's probably on his left elbow. And he's eating and visiting. And his feet are behind him. And it says she comes and stands behind his feet. And Jesus said, all these things you didn't do, this woman, she came weeping. And the tears were rolling down her cheeks and dripping off her chin. And they were falling on my dirty feet. My feet were becoming streaked from the mud and her tears. And she knelt down and continued to weep. And my feet were being wet and washed. And she let down her hair, which was the glory of the woman in that day. And she humbled herself and she washed and dried my feet with her tears and her hair. And this whole time, she never stopped kissing my feet You wouldn't even give me a kiss on the cheek greeting me with some respect, yet she's kissing my feet. And you wouldn't anoint my head, and she came and she took this alabaster jar of expensive oil, and she's been anointing my feet with this oil. Two women, or two people, the Pharisee and the sinner woman, that's prostitute, two different paths, and they were come together at Jesus. Remember the story. We'll come back to that in a little while. Remember the scene. But what I want to do first is talk about intimacy a little bit and understand the pictures that the Bible gives us of intimacy. Ever notice newborn babies cry a lot (laughs) because they have no other way to communicate, right? Now, we've had three of them. First one's always a real challenge because you don't really don't have a clue. At least I didn't. And I've discovered that most of us men don't. The baby cries. I change the diaper, I feed it, I rock it, I try to burp it, and it just keeps screaming. We don't know what to do. I think they just plain hate us. But we know that's not true. Men just don't get it. We're not that good at it. A cry is a cry. The baby's crying. Now, Cindy, on the other hand, and women, they hear that crying baby, and they seem to always know what to do. She would listen to the cry, and she'd know exactly what she was supposed to do. Oh, she's tired. Rock her, and she'll go right to sleep. Who knew? Oh, she'd hear another cry, and she'd she's hungry. Go get the bottle and feed her. Okay, sure enough, hungry, bottle, no more crying. Then a third cry comes, and, and Cindy goes, Mike, 
needs her diaper changed. And she needs you to change it. Now, I'm pretty sure that she didn't really hear that in the cry. But you know what? Moms are really called the baby whisperer. And when the baby whisperer says something, you listen. Now, that is a cute picture and a very real picture of intimacy. Somehow or other, that mother and that baby just seem to be intimate the moment they're born. And the intimacy just grows. I mean, I'm sure most of all of us have experienced one of these crying baby routines, and mom's not in the room. That's when we play hot baby. We pass the baby, the baby gets passed, and somebody steps up, like it's usually me, give her to me. I can get them quit. And they scream louder. And mom walks in the room. And maybe just says, oh, what's wrong? And the baby hears that voice. Calms right down. Mom comes over and picks it up, and the baby's just as happy as could be. Intimacy. Intimacy. They know each other intuitively. They know each other intimately. They know everything there is to know about that person. It's a great picture. And as we discover, as we go through this, an intimate relationship is about knowing and being known completely. Being known and knowing completely. And this is what I want to talk about with intimacy because it's amazing to understand God knows you intimately whether you like it or not. He knows you intimately. In the Bible, there's a word that's used for intimacy in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. And it's the word we simply define or translate into the word know or knew. And it says in Genesis 4, verse 1, And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and she bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. The word knew, intimacy. It's interesting that it's used in one of the most intimate pictures we can imagine between a husband and wife. That Hebrew word is yada. Eve and Adam. Adam knew Eve. Yada. Eve. And it means to know. And it means to know and be known completely. It's interesting, again, as I say, it's an intimate connection at every level. And it's the same word, yada, used over and over and over and over in the Old Testament, describing intimacy. In Psalms 139, verse 1, I'm only going to read a few verses, but if you read the whole psalm, it's just like a, a broken record. David's writing, O Lord, you examined my heart, and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand. You know my thoughts, even when I am far away. You see me when I travel. You see me when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I am going to say, even before I say it. David is declaring to God in that psalm as he's writing those words, God, I am completely known by you. Intimately. Every detail. Every hair on your head. Every thought that we have. 
intimately he knows us. And as amazing as that is, there's something that's even more amazing to me. God wants to reveal himself to us so that we would know him intimately. God wants you and me to yadah him, to know him. He wants to be completely known by us. Completely. Intimacy. Jeremiah 24, 7 says, I will give them a heart. Here's God speaking. He says, I will give them a heart to know me. As if we couldn't do it on our own. He says, I'll give them a heart that they may know me, God. They'll be my people. I'll be their God. For they'll have returned to me with their whole heart. He gives us the heart so that we can know him. And Isaiah, it says this, You have been chosen to know me. God chose us to know him. He says, you have chosen. I have chosen you. You have been chosen. Believe in me and understand that I alone am God and that there is no other God. There never has been and there never will be. He's chosen us to know him. He's given us a heart to know him. In Hosea 6, 6, it says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want the burnt offerings. God is expressing to us his heart. I know you intimately. I know everything about you. I want you to know me the same way. Intimacy. Now most of us, well maybe let's just say many of us, have a hard time dealing with intimacy. Matter of fact, when this whole intimacy thing starts getting involved in relationships, one of the first places we often go in our mind is fear. We don't like intimacy. Why don't we like intimacy? Why does our mind go to fear so quickly when intimacy is laying right there for us to grab a hold of? Well, because most of us have went that way with someone before. Intimacy requires vulnerability. It requires transparency. And how many of us know that we've been transparent before with people? We've opened ourselves up and been vulnerable before people before. And most of us have experienced that when we've done that, we get dumped on. We get hurt. The person that we have opened ourselves up to, the person that we've been vulnerable to, betrays us. There's a crushing blow of some kind. And we begin to develop as a self-defense mechanism. I'm not going there anymore. I'm not going there anymore. We start keeping everybody at a safe distance. Oh, we can have our friends and we can fellowship, but we've got our space emotionally, not just physical space. We have an emotional space. And we just don't let anybody in there because if they get in there, we're going to get hurt again. And this is one of the greatest weapons of the enemy to keep us from getting into the kind of relationship that the Lord wants with us. We're so used to every time we become vulnerable or transparent, getting hurt, experiencing pain or betrayal, there's no way we are able to let our defenses down, let our guard down, and say, you know what? God. Matter of fact, we're so afraid to get in with God because we know when God gets intimate with us, he's going to find some stuff he doesn't like. 
and he's going to find some stuff that we don't want him to see. Amen? Anybody got some stuff they don't want God to see? They don't want God to know about? Well, if you're a Christian and you know anything, you know that's not possible, right? He already knows. He's already seen it all. There is nothing you've ever done. I mean, you and I can fake it with our thoughts. I can look at that person and go, geez, what an ugly dress. God knows I just thought that. We can't fake it with God. He already knows. That's what makes it so amazing that He desires intimacy with us. He knows how sick we can be and how perverted we can be and what kind of things we are capable of doing, much less thinking. He already knows all that. He knows our future. He knows our past. The Bible says, Before I even formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. And in spite of all that, he says, I'm going to choose them to know me. I'm going to give them a heart that they might know me. I desire that they would know me, that they would yada me more than sacrifices and burnt offerings. Amazing that he still wants that kind of intimacy with us. Think of the woman from the story that I was just talking about in Luke chapter 7. Picture the scene, the Pharisee, and he probably invited a few other important people to the meal to impress them that Jesus would come to his house. And that environment right there, this woman who is a known prostitute, a known sinner, has to take the step required to come into the presence of God. She walks in uninvited. I mean, this woman, seriously, the Jewish person wouldn't allow her to touch them or they would not touch her because you would now be declared unclean. This woman risked her reputation. She didn't have a reputation anymore, did she? She risked everything. She could have gotten thrown out of that place. It didn't matter. Society had already discarded her and threw her aside. She was ready to be vulnerable and transparent. Probably part of her thinking was, what I got to lose? And most of us, if we would face the reality of our lives and our past and our sin, we would come to that same logical conclusion. What do we got to lose? I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to be transparent. And she walked in and exhibited the actions of a real follower, not a fan. She knew there was way more to be gained than whatever she thought she was going to lose. And that's the truth for anybody who wants to be a follower. All these thoughts go through your head. Gee, if I really become this completely committed, whatever that looks like, I'm going to have to lay aside this, that, and the other thing. It's going to cost a lot. Well, the enemy would like us to focus on what looks like the cost when the reality is the blessing is so overwhelming that the cost is all of a sudden, it's not a cost, it's an honor. It's an honor to put it away, to get away from that, to put it down. And then we have the Pharisee who's a picture of a fan. Fans choose knowledge over intimacy. Fans choose knowledge over intimacy. Think about that for a second. What does that mean? Churches, we really do this wrong sometimes. It's not that knowledge is bad. Don't think that. It's not that knowing more about Jesus is bad. But if that's all it is, it doesn't do us any good. 
And in churches, what do we do? It's easy. It's easier to say, you know, I'm going to go to a Bible study. I'm going to sit down and force myself to read a chapter so I can tell people when they ask me what I'm doing, I read a chapter. We can go to a Bible study. We can memorize a scripture or two. We can do all of these things. And it's actually easier than intimacy. Getting knowledge is easier. It's safer. And a lot of times we create a system that promotes gaining knowledge over intimacy. Don't get me wrong. We need to be in the Word. We need to study. We need to do those things. But if it's just an exercise of intellect and of gaining knowledge, it's a waste. If it's not leading us into intimacy and knowing Christ better and surrendering ourselves to Him more and more, it's not doing what it's designed to do. So our default mechanism when intimacy is getting close to us, even with the Lord, is oftentimes knowledge. I'll learn more, I'll study more, I'll do more. But this intimacy thing, we need to understand that knowledge can never, ever, 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 ever replace intimacy. I know a lot of non-believers who know a lot of the Bible. I know some that could put us to shame when it comes to quoting Scripture, but they're not even saved and wouldn't even proclaim to be. They've got lots of knowledge. They've studied it a lot. They know about, but they don't know. And it's a trap that we can so easily fall into. You know, and if you think about it, if we're not careful, we promote it in the church, as I said. Come to Sunday school class. Come to adult Sunday school class. Get your kids in Sunday school. Um, get them in Christian school. They make sure you're in a Bible study. Make sure you're in a small group. Make sure you have devotional time. Make sure you read the Bible. Make sure you memorize Scripture. Make sure, make sure, make sure, make sure. And if we've lost the aspect of intimacy and all of that, we have missed it completely. We need both. But we need intimacy with the Lord. Knowledge is easier. I know about Jesus, but you've got to remember, He wants to know us. Let's go back to the Simon's house again and the eruption by that sinner woman. Simon the Pharisee knew about Jesus, at least to a degree. And we see when he calls him and he says, Teacher, tell me. He's looking at him as his teacher, a dispenser of information. And his motivation is probably even wrong. He's probably trying to catch Jesus in some kind of contradiction or, or something that he could hold up against him and say blasphemy or something. But what he wanted was knowledge. Good or bad, that's what he wanted. Teacher, tell me. He wanted to hear more about Jesus. When Simon sees all this woman does... And he says to himself, man, this guy, if he were really a prophet, he was probably one of those gotcha moments in his mind. If he were really a prophet, he would know who this woman is. He would know what she is. She's a sinner. Everybody knows she's a sinner. And he's letting her touch him. The picture of intimacy the picture of knowledge. A picture of a fan at best versus a picture of a follower. When we see this woman in this story coming and weeping, it's a sign of brokenness. A sign of repentance, kneeling at the feet of Jesus. 
when we, we see her taking her hair, as I said, a woman's hair, in Old Testament times, the phrase, the woman's hair was their glory. And she looses her hair and she takes her hair and she humbles herself to the degree that she bends down and with her hair, her beauty, her glory, and she wipes her dirt and grime off of Jesus' feet with her hair. Brokenness. Total surrender. Total humility. Laying it down at the feet of Jesus. Literally. Kissing His feet. Not the kiss on the cheek of greeting, Kissing his feet. What a picture of humility. Weeping, wiping her feet with her hair, and kissing his feet. And then she takes what she had to offer. That alabaster vase, that alabaster jar with expensive perfume. And she doesn't just throw a little bit on there so it would smell. The aroma would have filled the place. She just dumps it on the feet of Jesus. Again, a picture of, here I am, God. Everything I got is yours. Everything that I have is yours. I'm giving it to you all. Giving it all to you. Simon, on the other hand, invited Jesus to his house. We don't see it, but there was a silent invitation sent by Jesus to this woman. We don't have to wait for an invitation from someone. Jesus is already calling us. He's already chosen you. And he wants intimacy with us. To keep things shallow, we just stay with knowledge. If you remember the DTR talk, the define the relationship moment. Man, the relationship here between Simon and Jesus was nothing but superficial. He was going to look good The current hot teacher in the city was coming to his house. He didn't want to get close. He really didn't even respect him. He disrespected him every way he could. By the way, he didn't greet him by not doing what a normal person would have done in their culture. Kiss on the cheek, greeting them. Come, let's wash your feet and get the dirt off your feet. Come to my table. Let's anoint your head with oil. All of these things. He didn't do any of it. He didn't even want to get that close to Jesus. And what a contrast with the girl, the woman. Totally willing, totally willing to open up. So the question for us is simply that. Are you willing to open yourself up to Jesus? It's almost a foolish question because in a sense he already knows. But it's the act of surrender that he's looking for. Are you and I willing to lay it all down, whatever it is, the good, the bad, the ugly, at the feet of Jesus. And just say, here I am, Lord. You know me and I want to know you. How do we get to know him? The Holy Spirit will reveal him to us. As we're in the word, as we're, as we're just meditating on his word, as we're just thinking about Jesus. You know, this is the, this is the great deal on this relationship. He's given us the heart. He's chosen us to know him. He wants to reveal himself to us. All we have to do is cooperate. That's it. We need to quit striving. We just need to cooperate. Lord, I want to. We need to to get familiar with Jesus. Never lose our awe and respect for who he is. 
as God. But remember, he's also our father. We're his son. We're his children. To know him. Comes down to that place. Do you want to embrace the close and intimate relationship with him or don't we? The amazing thing is with that relationship comes forgiveness and comes that yada to be completely known and to know completely. That's what being a fan or a follower is all about. Being drawn to that intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you that with no reason we can understand you have chosen us other than the fact that you love us. That in your love for us, you've chosen us, you've drawn us to you, you've given us grace to receive our gift of salvation. And you want to know us. And you want us to know you. God, I pray that you would break through all of the fears, all the barriers that we have built, that we think protect us. God, that we would allow you to tear those barriers down. God, knowing that your word is true, that you are there with us every moment of every day, every step of the way. No matter how dark it might get, you are there with us. You promise to never leave us nor forsake us. You tell us in your word that you will walk through those valleys with us. That you will give us grace to come out the other side. And as we do, we'll know you even better. Lord, so I pray that as we humble ourselves before you, lay our lives open to you. That you fill us with your love and with your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, reveal the Father to us. Reveal the Son to us. God, that we would never be like that Pharisee, but we would be like that woman. Willing to be vulnerable and transparent before you knowing that you desire nothing but good for your children. I pray, Lord, as we go about our week, we would sense your presence in greater and greater ways, that we would meditate on you and who you are. By your Spirit, you would even reveal the things that are in our life that would represent a fan instead of a real follower of Jesus. God, let it be in the forefront of our mind all week when we go to work, when we're with friends, neighbors, Holy Spirit, have your way in each one of us. Watch over us, protect us, guide and direct us, that you'd receive all the glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.